of her website. Um, and you can find a link to that in the show promo for this week. Uh, Shelly's a native of Michigan, but currently living in Virginia. She's been an avid genealogist and a historian for over 25 years. She's a coordinator and faculty for the Midwest African American Genealogical Institute, which is known as MAGI, which is M-A-A-G-I. She presents things like genealogy for beginner type workshops, local community college levels, um, state level, and she does a lot of national genealogical conferences. Um, and she's just a great person. Um, very knowledgeable, really enthusiastic about genealogy, black genealogy and black history, which she's gonna be sharing with us. And the project that she's involved in that we're gonna specifically talk about today is the University of Virginia, the UVA Memorial to Enslaved Laborers. Started as a project by the, it was a student-led project actually, I found out, it started in 2010. They started lobbying for it. Oh, wow. um, and the university actually got behind it. Well, I don't know when they got behind it, but they actually started actioning it in 2016. They put a whole committee together, um, both to design the memorial and to come up with a ceremony to, to mark the four to 5,000 enslaved people that labored and toiled um, at the University of Virginia, which included men, women, and children. That's awesome. Wow. Which is awesome. So without further ado, and again, thank you for joining us on this show. Um, hi, Shelley. Hello there. How are you two doing? We're fine. We're, We're fine. fine. I just, Good. there you are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I see two of me. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we, I couldn't see you there for a second, but your little your little window popped up in our screen. So hello yeah. and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I love sharing information about research. <laughs> so the question that we always like to ask our, our guests is, how, how did you get into genealogy? What was it about, about it that just hooked you and you, know, you just ran with it? My mother. My mother um, used to always talk about what her grandmother had always said and that her grandmother always talked about the past. And so in the early 70s, she started digging herself. And matter of fact, and if she could hear me, she would be embarrassed. You know, back in the old days, in those 70s, we didn't have the Internet as like we have it right now. But she wrote letters to request the birth certificates, the marriage certificate. And she made a copy of every letter she wrote. So she wrote two requests and she still has all of those requests. And so trying to help her is how I really got started. And she made a statement one time that her grandfather's uh, great grandfather was a slave. So here we are in the 70s. What? What do you mean? Who, who's the slave? What do you mean? We got slaves in the family? So on and so forth. So that sparked the interest. And then at the time, I was living in Hawaii. And so I started helping long distance accessing, you know, courthouse information, started doing a lot of reading. And there it went. And I haven't stopped since then. Wow, that's awesome. And come to find out that Shelly and I are actually related. Yes. We haven't worked out who, but we know that we share <laughs> at least a, a common Goins ancestry. Yes. Well, then she's related to me, too, because I have Goins in my line as well. 
I don't know who it is. Well, look, we can take them guns right to 1619. So y'all strap in and hold on that chair. I know. We've already gotten there, you know, so we'll connect those nines. Don't worry. We'll yes. collect all the lines there. But I tell you, Goins is one of those crazy kind of black ancestral lines that just connects so many people. And so few of us actually know how we connect. We just know that we share Goins. Right. It's massive. It's actually massive. Um, and I've got 12 different spellings just in my line of the word Goins. Yeah, so I've seen G-O-Y-N-E-S, G-O-I-N-S, G-O-I-N-E-S. I mean, I've seen them in all different kinds of ways, yeah. but the Goins that are DNA connected to my mom, I have not been able to get in touch with them. But Henry knows the guy. Oh, Henry really? Goins knows the guy, is related about, to the guy, but the guy won't call me back. So I'm is like, she, are you in the Goins group that I set up? No, I'm probably not. Well, I'm going to add you. Yes, ma'am. Because this is where Goins is, and we're actually trying to connect these lines. Okay. I hail the ones from Virginia. Then there's somebody in there from North Carolina. There's the Texas, you know. So this is what we're trying to do is connect. And there's a few folks that love the DNA aspect of it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> so we're going to segue into the, the actual memorial. Sure. And can you talk a little bit about the, just the, the development? What was it that the University of Virginia, what was it that made this such a special project for them? Well, like you said, it was student led. I was involved in a few of the community groups that were going on in downtown Charlottesville. So they were gathering input about the memorial, the design and things like that. So they can visit the site, um, you know, and you can actually see uh, the picture of the design. All the, the panels are now in and there's about 4,000 names or it can hold up to 4,000 names. Each of those panels, when you look at that picture, weigh 4,000 pounds, each wow. panel. And again, they, it's, and it's beautiful. And I'm trying not to keep looking at it because I want to be surprised. But um, what they've done is actually, I work from a list and from a website. There's a website that's public, which I provided you the link to it. We call it Jewel. And so what what that list entails is everywhere um, money was spent for the hiring or the use of labor. So they've taken, created a list from the financial ledgers, which attaches to slave owner, the slave, names, some without names, and then what they actually did and when they did it, as far as their occupation or their job. So that's kind of what was rumbling I got a phone call in July asking if I would be interested in doing the research and a course. That's a dream job to be able to specifically research on uh, a mission like this that the university has. And I have to commend them because they have put the resources behind it. And we will see April 10th, there's a private uh, unveiling of the memorial to the descendants the ones that I have been able to locate 
And then April 11th is a public one scheduled, and it's right at the university, right on the grounds there of the University of Virginia. Which is true, because I will be seeing you on the 10th. Um, yes, because you are a descendant. It, it took Shelley. <laughs> Shelley had to point out to me that my ancestors were part of this story, because wow. I knew that they were enslaved in Monticello. Um, yeah. But I never made the connection, oh, they were actually part of building, you know, building UVA. And as I said, wow. that could have been anything from clearing the trees off the land, clearing the land, digging the foundation, fetching the water for workers, cooking the food. I mean, they literally did, not just my ancestors, everyone's ancestors who were involved, just conceive of what it would take to build a university wow. kind of in a field. Which is what but they then did. there's the specialty, even specialty skills, the carpenters, the bricklayers, right. the masons, mm -hmm. and all of those. So it, it was just an array. Um, it's very powerful to be able to go through the list and try to find these names, you know, find descendants. So I'm kind of, I kind of flip back and forth on how I do this research because it's not always the typical way we do it. You know what I mean? Um, it's just back and forth. I don't know how else to call it. So if I'm hopping from 1870 to 1940, then 1880, and then go back, you know, trying to track, because I'm trying to come forward, not go back as much. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, and it's been rewarding as well. Difficult and challenging. We have the same challenges that we have with all of our research, but I think the area where I'm, where I'm living at, is what makes this so key and much more resources might be available than some other area. Okay. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. Because if yeah. I understand correctly, the enslavement didn't end once the university was built. If I understand correctly, they, the university actually enslaved people up until the Emancipation Proclamation. I probably think that's correct. Now, from what I understand, the University of Virginia um, what I've been told, I'll say it that way, has only purchased one individual and only owned one slave. Everyone else was basically rented. The professors were allowed to have their slaves with them. The students of the university were not. So basically, my list starts with Thomas Jefferson, how many he had allowed over and the other area um, slaveholders. And, and again, this area is very unique because we have Monticello, we have the Highlands, which is James Monroe, mm -hmm. but then we got Mount Pelier right down the road in Orange County, which is James Madison. And then you have the large, usual, I'll say it that way, plantation owners that could have two, 300 slaves themselves. So what kind of record sets does the university actually, this is a two-part question, what kind of <laughs> records do they have and are those records publicly available? The records that they have would be their records, the financial records. Plus, if, if folks aren't uh, familiar with the university, there is the um, Albert and Shirley Smalls Special Collections Library. They have original documents and so on and so forth, just like typical university libraries. This is a lot where the collections of manuscripts and papers are held. So I'm able to go in there, of course, it's a public you know, facility and research and I can pull records and look at the original documents. 
just like going into the National Archives. So they typically have holdings of the plantation owners and individuals. And so I could pull a name, you know, like John Cox, which was a general and he had slaves and the plantation was called Brimo Bluff. And that was in Fluvanna County and he rented some of his slaves. And so I could go pull a file on him and start looking through and find out what letters that are there, might be bill of sales, it could be deeds and things like that. And then of course, we've got our local courthouse and historical societies as well. Charlottesville is in the middle and there's five counties surrounding the city of Charlottesville. So again, such a unique opportunity because of the location and what was here. So I'm curious, I know that pretty much every agreement or contract or record will, will be different, but do they give any indications of things like <clears throat> age or whether they were being hired out as family groups? Or, or what their occupation was. Or what their occupations were. And okay, it's not any different than what we're doing, you guys are doing now. Say if you're researching for your enslaved ancestor, you're going to see the same type of stuff that I'm seeing. So I'm after those saying, oh, is there uh, probate records, deeds, inventory sheets, bill of sales, the typical documents that you're going to see. What you might not always see might be letters or transactions from slave owner to slave owner, where I might find that in the record of the university because they put money or had to pay for something which would bring it you know, to the forefront. That website called Jewel, the J-U-E-L that I shared with you, there's a collection of names and papers and documents associated with individuals, the enslaved laborers and free laborers that were working at the university. So you're able to see what document they actually have in their holdings. And so again, it's not totally different than what we normally see in slave research, but you also got to know what records and, and type things to look for. I'm curious if there would even be things like insurance policies, which are yeah. kind of a record set that a lot of African American researchers don't think about. A lot they don't think about in uh, estate records typically are what we will find. And they have lots of information. As an example, I have a 1860 estate settlement document and I'm tracking a Smith line. And there he is, enslaved, 1860, Ephraim Smith. And what's interesting is there's a whole list and their value. But what happens, the slave owner, which happens to be a man named Tucker Coles, died. And so Ephraim goes to the brother. And so you know where I looked after 1860. I went right to the Freedmen Bureau mm -hmm. and thought, okay, is there a labor contract or something out there? What happened after 1865? And yes, there was a labor contract and Ephraim worked for Tucker's brother in 1866 for $20 a year. Wow. Did yeah. you say $20 a year? Yes, I did. Jesus. We're talking about 1866 now. I don't know the value of that in today's market, but, but that's, that's a, an example. 
Okay, Danya. It's okay. It's like a dollar and fifty cent a, a month or something. <laughs> God, can equate that. I'm not gonna equate That's that. That's crazy. So, but you know you're gonna come across those documents. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, squeezing that time. Be, with the Freedmen Bureau records, is such a critical record set that people to get from the day of freedom before you get to 1870. Right. Folks have got to, white and black need to access those record sets. And so that's some of the flipping that I do, okay. you know. So what are, what are some of the family names that you've come across that might, you know, um, benefit some of our, our watchers? Skipwith, um, Smith, Harris. I'm, there's a list. If you go on the Jewel site, okay. there's actually, um, I walk around with my laptop in an in a Excel spreadsheet with those names on them. But um, it could be uh, South Hall, uh, Massey, Maupin. And again, one of the big things I have to find first is if the enslaved laborers took the slaveholders' name. Not all of them did, and we all know it's only about 15% that actually took the slaveholders' name. So the first thing I do is run to 1870. Right. You know, when I come down to a new family, I'm going to start. I go to 1870 and say, okay, if I got a slaveholder's name and I have a slave that that only is listed with a first name, I'm first going to go after to see if they took the slaveholder's name. Right. I'm not going to say it makes it easy if they do, but that gives me a little more lead and I can start tracking that slaveholder family and look for their records to, you know, to find where my person would be on. And so other names could be um, Johnson, and I said Maupin, um, it's just everyday family names, Barnett, Gaines, you know, and again, I have a list and, and I do search through the list. My list actually starts in 1817 wow. and it goes up to 1865. So the list I'm dealing with, with all these names are about, um, it's like 2,300. Some have surnames. So again, what does that mean? That Ephraim Smith, he was owned by the Coles. So he didn't have the Coles last name, which now triggers off a whole nother set of questions and things I have to look for. Because if they don't have the slaveholder's name, where did he get that name from? Well, it didn't the, come from Africa. This right. is the curious you know, so it's, I, I got to figure that out. It's funny you should mention the Cole family because I'm literally researching them right now. Um, the Cole family who are in Fluvana, Goochland, and in and around Charlotte. By the way... Charlotte or Charlottesville? Charlotte. Sorry, Charlottesville. The, the Coles married a lot of Diggs, but they also married a lot of Smiths. And those Smiths go all the way back to like the really, really early days of, of colonial Virginia. But those three families married each other over and over and over again. Mm. Well, we're looking at a set of pop a population limited within, you know, like I said, not just really central Virginia, because some slaves were rented from other counties further away. 
but I concentrated because of the time frame and this designated opening and unveiling of the memorial that I would start local. And so if you ever follow me on Facebook, you'll see that go local stuff all the time or even coming to Maggie, I push that go local. <laughs> you know, if you're gonna do any research on African-Americans, well, I'd say Europeans too, you have to hit local and get offline because not everything is online. But the Coles family, just about in my research is connecting pretty much to all the names that I know. Mm -hmm. There's a whole population of free folks and the Coles are even interacting with the free folks. Battles, uh, let's see, the battles, you got the bowls, and those are names. The Coles are right in there. The There's Coles. a massive family tree on ancestry by a Coles. They have never responded over the last probably five years to, to me or anybody I know of, but there is a massive tree with a lot of documents on it and um, a good place. But remember, I'm in working in Albemarle, Charlottesville, Fluvanna. I live in Fluvanna, by the way. I didn't know if you knew that, Brian, but I live <laughs> I in know. Fluvanna. And so I'm in that central area where all of these families, the, the connection is probably the biggest surprise that I have found is how all these families connect, just like you said. That is, if I come in, I come into the Sheffy, I'll find three or four different lines. And it was like, I sit back and I said, wow, do these folks know they're related? Because some of the people that I'm working with did not know they were related, that there's a common ancestor back there. That's wow. a thrill for me as a researcher to say, hey, you two, say you two are sitting there and I say, did you know? And they're looking at me like, no, I kind of didn't know. So walking them back through their tree. And you know, it's a it's an enjoyment to work with people that have that same vision and want to learn about their ancestors and then to find a connection. I have two friends that have been friends for years, didn't know they were related had no idea so the people that you're working with they they are connected to the those that were enslaved that built yes okay yes so so what i do i put up a facebook page and and i think i know brian's on there and just like i reached out to brian because i have you know followed him so i saw names and i saw common names and then he came to the uh, Library of Virginia and did a presentation. And I thought, uh-oh, I got to connect here because I heard common names in the presentation. Okay, go to my list, you know, type mm -hmm. thing, and look that up. And then, you know, I had to reach out to him. So I find people, social media has been a blessing and, and like talks like this. So I put out, I'm going to say flyers or information asking for people because all roads are going to lead to Virginia. If you're African-American, you can claim Louisiana. You can claim anywhere in the South. You get back far enough, you're coming to Virginia and your research. And so, and people should always check Virginia because these surnames are not, again, coming from Africa. They're coming from where those folks came in the English folks or the Spanish or whoever it is your, you know, your surname comes from. And I think 
people could take more advantage of like the Library of Virginia or the local courthouses and historical societies or find the genealogy groups out there. You know, there's odds groups all over the place. There's four in Virginia. So we have questions mm -hmm. okay. on, our, on our thing. Um, I think one you've already answered, but I'm gonna go ahead and ask it again. It says, how would we know if our family was included? So I think that's where you was directing them to the Jewel, right? The Jewel website or just contact me directly. Okay. Just email me directly, hit me up on Facebook if they're on Facebook. Uh, you know, my information is public. You can Google and find me, you know, uh, like Brian said, family tree girl. Uh, I'm with the odds chapter in Richmond and uh, the one in Charlottesville. Okay. So I'm curious, um, when, especially if you're contacting someone who's either, who hasn't done any genealogy or done very, very little, what has the response been like when you're like, oh, hi, my name is Shelly, and I believe you're a descendant of someone of an enslaved person who, who worked at the University of Virginia? Wow. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that was very uh, quite, wasn't it? <laughs> but, well, actually, that it kind of doesn't happen that way. Um, I belong to a lot of genealogy groups. And a lot of some of these descendant families are connected in those groups. I've been in Virginia uh, since 2003 and pretty much involved in a lot of the, you know, research that goes on. And um, so I'm sharing a lot of the information. So I get tips from other researchers. People will contact me individually, or if someone says, hey, I'm a Bates, or I'm a Holland, or a Howard, or whatever, but look, check with my cousin also. You know, I just worked on the Harris family tree the other day and found four other lines. Raglan is another popular name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Raglan is another line I'm following. So I've got the slave owner, and now I'm coming down the line. And also Monticello's been very helpful. Um, Naya Bates, who's over the Getting Work Project there at Monticello. And you have the Monticello Descendant Group. You have the Mount Pillar Descendant Group. So I'm sharing information and reaching out to them. So people are coming. And if it's me trying to follow up because I see the last name, um, and I'll ask them and say, hey, I'm doing this research. Have you started your genealogy? And et cetera. You know, and it goes from there. But I sit down and I meet with people and um, start asking questions. And then I build trees. I think I've got 66 or 67 trees on Ancestry right now that are private trees mm -hmm. that I'm building along and and just started using the availability of uploading documents to those trees instead of just using the typical ones. I can use, I watched some webinar and Krista Counter, somebody talking about you can add documents. All these years I never added documents to my trees, only what I pulled <laughs> off of the internet. And I thought, wait a minute, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so now I'm scanning up the inventory sheets, and this is things that I'm not going to find, you know, online. And again, that's why the going local is so important. Okay. 
Then another person um, asked about the spelling of the Coles name. Is it C-O-L-E-S? Without the S. Without the S. So it's with and without. Oh, it's with both. and without. Okay. It's both. And and as we all know, spelling doesn't count. You, you know, it, if I get pieces of that surname, I'm going with it till something tells me it's not it. If those documents are lining up, those first names are lining up, and dates are lining up, I'm on that, I'm on it, you know, type thing. Okay, and you said that there was a tree that you you specifically have. Where Where is the tree and what's the name of it? No, I set up private trees for everybody I work with, and I have oh. about 66 or 67. They're on Ancestry. Okay. And so, yeah, so I'm building from there. I handwrite everything out first, and then I start trying to build a tree because the online databases helped me fluctuating through 1870, 1940, right. 1850, 1817, you know, and getting through the census to try to find the enslavers. And then of course, hitting through the slave schedules and then 1865, 66 rather, the Freedmen Bureau records and then on to 1870. So it's a lot of going back and forth, but that's the only way you could build to, to get to these inventories. Because I could find a slaveholder and find all their papers, their collections, and still not find the slave. Because I'm also, of course, looking at property records. So I'm always really looking for an inventory or bill of sales and those type things. And I use the libraries. Uh, you know, Library of Virginia, as well as the university's library. But it could be anywhere. Somebody's holdings could be in Georgia or, you know, in Mississippi or at some other university and not even be here. It depends on wherever the family's papers are at okay. or collections. And again, I appreciate this is a very common surname, but one of our viewers, um, Jay Pittman, was asking, did you come across the surname Adams? Adams? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the free Adams, uh, He's saying not in, not enslaved that I know of, but they just need to email me or hit me up on Facebook and I'll look, Okay, Although you know, it looks as though um, his, Adams, I know there's a free family Adams. Okay. It looks as though he's inquiring about one that was located, a fam family that's located in Danville. Okay. Now Danville's about two hours from me. Reseed Luck in the Odds chapter is down there. And that's the Dan, it's a Pittsburgh, Danville, Pennsylvania, Afro-American Historical Genealogical um, Society down there. Mm -hmm. So she's a good contact, but he can hit me up and I can give him or her the link or whatever to get to that Odds chapter. Okay, and Jay, if you didn't catch that first time around, you can always catch it on the, um on the, demand. On the demand. replay. Yeah. But he did. He said, I certainly will. So the people that the those that are enslaved, I know you said you're working locally. Um, but how do you have an idea like of how how far out they rented enslaved people to come in and actually build UVA? Um, in the Virginia aspect, I know now so I'm in central Virginia. Richmond is about an hour from me. And um, so I'm trying to get some perspective on a map. So there's a county called King and Queen. There's a county called Prince William. 
that are further east from me and down in the Tidewater area, which would be like where Hampton is at in Newport News, those areas. So the slaves could have came from anywhere. And I think of it, um, the easiest way for me to say it, which doesn't, don't hold me to paper here, but TJ's friends are who rented a lot of their slaves to the university. So a lot of those folks are, could be anywhere without, you know, throughout the Commonwealth. Right. But because I was given a time frame because of the unveiling of the memorial to say the April 11th, I had to stay local and try to access and take up as much as I could from these five counties around, which is paying off because there's so many connections, like you were talking about the coals, the bows, the battles, and things like that. And uh, the Howards, the Hollands, the Raglands, uh, the names are just flying yes. through my head now. South Hall, Moffins, and, and again, if I keep thinking, I'll come out with all 66 families <laughs> that I'm dealing with. Um, but I tried to stay pretty much here, but it doesn't mean that everybody was from locally within these five counties. But I'm also, besides the five counties, I am also accessing Orange County and Buckingham County. Oh, besides okay. Fluvanna, Louisa, Green, Nelson, and Albemarle, and Louisa. Yeah, so those are the other areas. Shelly kind of beat me to the punch because I was gonna say great-grandpa Thomas Jefferson, he knew everybody. So you can well, imagine just kind of going, go, go, <laughs> going out and about doing government business. Oh, hey, I'm building a university. I need more enslaved people. Can you help? Can you help me out? Can you help me out? And I know that sounds really casual, people. But it, that's what it was at that time. That's what it was. It was. That's just what it was. It's so amazing how we have these we have these types of forms, and when we do this, people find out that they're connect they may be connected to each other as you're talking shelly we have two people on the on here who are connecting talking about yeah i have so many this adams at this spot and he was like okay i'm gonna look into that so it's just like it's it's really wonderful how we're able to be able yeah. to give this type of form for them to learn more names find more possible connections and learn more information about whatever it is we're talking about at the time whereas with is for this it's with you and the right. university of virginia so, so. bullock to... is another name who bullock that's another name b-u-l-l-o-c-k oh, okay because i thought she it. said blaylock <laughs> for a second man. no not blaylock well, I don't know. I'll have to check. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of the most succinct way to ask this question. It, it's about yes. basically how long the enslaved people were hired out for. Yes. But if I'm trying to research if any of my ancestors or family might be part of this story, am I right in thinking that people would be more inclined to hire their enslaved people when the agricultural season was kind of fallow? So you can imagine peak tobacco and cotton and, and all the rest of it um, in the farming period, you'd want as many of your enslaved people to do the work as possible. So is it more likely that this enslaved people were hired out when they weren't being active back home? I don't know if I would say that. I think because these slaveholders 
didn't have your average, say, five or six or even 10 slaves, we're dealing with slave owners that had 50, 100 or more, 20, 30. So they were a plus this is income that that that's what it's about. It's income. And so regardless of the timing, I think the construction, um, how that was being done is what dictated as, you know, how they were getting the slaves. And so I don't know if it connected with any type of season, again, because it's construction, no different than what we're basically doing back then, except of course we do the construction now a little totally different because you know, those buildings that were built are still there. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Those buildings that were built, and I think the construction might've started about 1817, and again, this is the things that's on the website um, that people can read about. But um, there were people that were doing, uh, they called it water, just hauling water. Um, it could have been digging a trench. And again, I always hone in on those carpenters and those bricklayers because that sends another message to say, wait a minute, did they become a mason? You know, is there any Prince Halls or, you know, coming in later? you know, who was here and how that connected. And you you just don't know. I don't, I just don't know if I would totally say that as a fact. Okay. I just know it's just a construction site and how that went. But again, those buildings are still standing. See, that's what blew my mind when I went to Monticello. And that's why it hit me so hard. Correct. Because I assumed that that house was, that the, that plateau that the house sits on, was natural that that was already there. But the tour guide was really, really excellent, Miss Burwell. She would just, because she, as part of her tour, she's like, well, no, they cleared the top third of that mountain. That's they crazy. cleared it, leveled it. Yes. Then all of the bricks that you see in Monticello, because they didn't let anything go to waste, yeah. was made out of the earth. That's why they're the color red that they are. Wow. So they cleared the mountain, saved the soil, made the bricks, built the house that's what they did at the university i mean they had to clear the land yeah they had to make the bricks. they had to make the bricks i mean yeah it, yeah it's just so it's just like what we were talking about with the driver on the way here and you know how he was making his comments and how my i mean my mom's statement was just so right my mom would say you know she would say you could have a, a white family or a white person who's gone to school for architecture and they had to go through all of this training for all of that but then they would turn around and hand that blueprint to a black person and that black person would read it build it do everything necessary and they didn't even have the the overall training that this white person had in order to get to the point that he was and it was it makes sense. You know, they're sitting here, they're able to do those types of things. It's one of the most amazing things that I think I could ever think about when it comes to African-Americans as a whole and, and the things that we have picked up on or are able to do. And it's a missed, what is it? it it's a missed skill that yep. they don't even know. You know, people don't even know. These, these are missed skills. And they were just misused and just not, I don't know. It, 
Well, Africans came here with skills. Yes, they did. And and that's probably the most misunderstood thing out there is is that they weren't useful. They weren't lazy. Look at this country. It was everybody was busy that, you know, the enslaved laborers were busy. They built this country. There's probably not buildings in any state that were not built by enslaved laborers. And I think people need to understand that, and learn that history. I was going to share a few more names with people. There's the Harris's, the nun. Um, I'm going to spell this name. H-O-O-E. I call it Hulk but H-O-O-E, the Cole, Samuel Cole, he enslaved Willis. So now I want to find if, is there a number one, a Willis Cole, or did Willis take on another name, mm -hmm. you know, which I'd have to check in between. Um, there's Witten, Sandridge, Dickerson, uh, Fanny Barnett was a free woman that was working and she was a washerwoman. Uh, Boxley is the, uh, the enslaver, but he enslaved Lewis, Wilson, Ben, Madison, Wyatt, and Jackson. So, so this is what I'm looking at, you know, constantly. Charles Dickinson had Rhoda. She was a slave hire, you know, type thing. And here's Captain Garrett. He had the yellow man Willis. Okay. Anybody out there that got a Willis Garrett? or something, you know, Willis in this area around 1820, 1830, or even in the 1850s. I also got to find out if they lived to make it to 1870 when I start with these earlier times. So that's a few more names out there. Barksdale, uh, oh, Nunn, Sandridge, mm -hmm. Bowles. Here's Stephen Bowles. Stephen Bowles, which is your line, he was free. He did hauling to the university. I'm talking about 1820, Brian. Mm -hmm. He was hauling <laughs> items to the university. Mm. We're telling a story here as well. So I really have to commend the university because people are going to learn things about African-American slave labor. They're going to get a different picture. They're going to be recognized. They're memorialized. Um, I think there's a picture on the Facebook page that shows one of the ladies, her name is Helise. She found her ancestor's name there, which we had already gotten back there. His name, the enslaved laborer was Jim Henderson. She put her hand on that, on his name. You know, at that point, we got emotions and things that are going to start coming out as well. Yes. So I'm looking forward to this opportunity for people to see this, you know, be able to come to Charlottesville and find their family. Uh, this Orange County, we've got folks that are living in Canada that will be coming down, that the family connects. And they were owned by a former governor, James Barber, and his enslaved laborers were rented to the university to do some of this slave work. So it's going to impact a lot of people the more we can find. So I appreciate the opportunity to be able to say, hey, we're doing this because I need those names to get out there. And it's it's a hard thing to prepare for because as I said, my brother, my sister and I went to Monticello. Yeah. It was the first time that any of us had actually gone. We knew we had family there. We knew their names. We, you know, we knew something of their histories. It wasn't until I 
went into the, the slave went into the slave cabin. That was hard enough, mm-hmm. but it really really hit me when I went to the to the African American the, the slave cemetery at Monticello. One, I knew they were there. Two, some of their names they know you know they don't know where they're buried in, in the right. cemetery, but they know that they are buried there. That was it. I was done. Mm. Um, and that's a really hard thing to try to tell people to mentally prepare for. You can intellectualize it. You can rationalize how you're going to respond to it and think, oh, that was so long ago. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's just it's, over. It's, but but it's, because it's your blood. Yeah. It's your blood and you know that that's, those are your people. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a connection like no other. And I really feel like anybody who, anybody who does any type of research, just an inkling of this, when they step on the land that their families were on, you're going to feel it. You're going to know that, wow, this was this is where I am. One of, one of the most, what was most, was crazy for me, I did this at two separate cemeteries. I did it for my grandparents and my great-grandmother. Um, for my great-grandmother on my grandfather's side, his mom, she doesn't have a stone, but I'm telling y'all, I know where she is. I know exactly where she is. She's buried right next to her son. And I don't know why I know that, but I know that. And then with my grandparents, my grandparents don't have stones, but my mother told me that her mom was always at the head or foot of her, of her own mother. And mm. then my grandfather was supposed to have been at the other end yeah. of my grandmother. Well, when I got to Springfield, I could feel my grandmother being right where she was. I knew that somebody, she was right there, but my grandfather wasn't right here. My grandfather was over here. And what, what made things so, what, what made it crazy for me was when my daughter went and she did the same exact thing. She looked, she was like, granddaddy's not right there. He's right here. She knew it. She felt it. So it's a, it's, and she's not a researcher. So if you do an inkling of research, they're going to hit you and they're going to say, Hey, I'm right here. This is who I am. So I think that what you're doing is just, um, I don't know how, I don't know how I would be. I don't think I would be able to do it. Like I'm, I don't like stepping in cemeteries nowadays. Oh, you should be able to step in cemetery. I mean, Let me tell you what, these are all my people now. And that what you just described, I mean, they're coming at me crazy. Yes. They're coming at me. They are calling on me. They are making me connect with people yes. that I probably would have never met. Yes. And the thing of it is now, every time I'm talking to somebody, and I hear their last name, it's processing in <laughs> my head. <laughs> so it's it processing. Or when I engage with someone, especially other researchers, and we start talking. But there's during the week, there's times that I have to close that book, yeah. put that laptop down, because the emotions start running, because this is not easy research. You know, people, you get the glamour of Ancestry.com or Family Site. No, this is not glamorous at all. Not at all. I'm talking about people's mama, daddy, grandmamas, or the babies. Oh, my God, the babies. 
you know what I'm saying? Or when I'm going in and doing the tree, just like finding my own tree. I have conversations. I know this is going to sound really crazy and I'm putting this out here. I have conversations with this laptop, talking to these documents all the time and talking to these ancestors and telling, okay, where are you at? You know, whole conversations of talking about them and, oh, look, this is what you were doing. Well, wait a minute, you know, help me find you. And yeah, so we do the same. Out. I know it sounds crazy, but they are reaching out and I just figured they're all mine now. They're all my relatives, even I thought Virginia deep roots, they're all mine now because I don't think they're ever going to back off Yeah, you know, because I'm digging for them, you know, I'm looking. Yeah. And that's why I feel like I have to be careful because I don't want to dig for everybody. But, and so when I, like, there was a moment when I was living by a cemetery, I hated it. Yeah. Because I did not want these people to be knocking on that spiritual door, talk, trying yeah. to knock it down. And I started feeling like that that's, that's something that would happen. So I had to learn how to close it. You know, how did you do that? Because I'm not, <laughs> I'm telling you, Shelly, I used to be afraid of these types of things. Yeah. So it's, it was already, it's already a big deal for me to accept my own family. Yeah. But as you, you know, I don't sleep that much. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> which is a problem health wise and everything. Yeah. I don't get a lot of sleep, but then if I go to sleep, sometimes I'm woken up and I got to open up that laptop or go grab something off that bookshelf and start digging it. Right now I'm clocking the free people out of a book. Uh, Freedom has a face that were all the free people pretty much in, in one county, Albemarle County. My people, I have connections to there. But what inspired me start copying down every one of these third names is because they're connecting to these enslaved laborers. Right. And then I meet my own family in this book that's connected to my family. Right. And it was like, wait a minute, I moved here only because of the, the location being centrally located. For me, to go, I can go within five, six hours of everywhere from Charlottesville and hit my family, wow. you know, for research. It's something that I could drive. And that's why I moved here, you know, and I like college town areas and stuff. But I am clocking down in a spreadsheet all the free people of color in Albemarle County that I know that comes out of this book because it's also telling me the connection. So that's another resource. Find out if somebody wrote about these families or hit up the local historical society. What did they have in there? And this is where I'm learning even more families, but it's the connection. They're, they're knocking at the door. Like I said, they're waking you up too. Yes, they <laughs> waking are. Waking you up in the night. Yep. Oh, no, well, they always, they hit me in my sleep. We have questions. So I've got a question, okay. um, very good question about inventories. So as most of us know, enslavers had inventories as part of their probate, um, especially, well, whether they died in test date or not, they had an inventory. Um, before I ask you what other kind of, where, what other, where inventories might also pop up, to get people to remember, well, you would need an accounting of enslaved people for tax purposes because slaves were property and you had to pay tax on your property. 
But there are also things called farm books. I found out so much about Thomas Jefferson's enslaved people yeah. in my family through his farm book. Um, a lot of enslavers might have journals. Again, you're talking about property, especially property that's procreating. You're keeping track of that. So I'm finding that a lot of those kind of journals and farm books might be held at a university repository, state level library, your local historical society or genealogical society might also have those kind of papers. It takes a little work to, um, to kind of track down where they are. But if you Google a phrase, I mean, that's how I found the Thomas Jefferson farm book. I just typed in Thomas Jefferson farm book, um, Monticello, boom, there it was. It's actually on the, the Monticello website. Um, some of our enslavers in Edgefield, um, Calhoun has a, had a farm book. I know. That's at the South Carolina. South then there's Carolina that Museum. Brooks book that, you know, his journals. Mm. He has a whole bunch of journals where he, yeah. But Shelly, can you think of any other way that a slave in, where, an, in, where a slave inventory might be listed or might have been, been used other than tax and death? I always say follow the money, follow mm. the land, follow the water, follow the community. So knowing what records are in the community yeah. Because a lot of people claim about the burned courthouse and all of that. Let me tell you what, people were still being born, dying, and getting married and paying taxes. Just because you said it's a burned county don't mean that the records that could have been there might have had to be sent to somewhere else. So that's another thing I would check. Find out, it, even if it was around 1890 census, you can rebuild your community by finding birth deaths and things like that, which might have had to go to the state level. So find out when your state required certain records that they needed to collect and what records were locally collected. Because a lot of times copies had to be sent yes. to the state or to another office that wouldn't have been burned. Only the courthouse burned. Now, there are a couple counties I know of in Virginia that did not burn. Loudoun County is one of them. Really? They've got their records. I went up there and got Luke Goins and looked at his Certificate of Freedom for 1795 with his mark on it. You know, grin like a Cheshire cat, but I also cried after seeing it, talking about that emotion. You know, just the fact that he had to have a paper to say he was free. But then I picked it apart to find all the clues. But I also think the faith of the people also are the things I say to be aware of. You know, they had to pay money. Like you said, the universities, you know, there could be thesis out there, dissertations out there, or somebody wrote a book and it's in the local library. You know, and that's a part person to tap in as your local librarian to find out, hey, were there any family histories wrote around here? You're going to find a lot of white family histories, but you might be surprised that they will talk about if they were slave owners could also be in that book or who was next door or in the neighborhood. So you got to pay attention to who's around. Those records could also be at the house repository and not necessarily at some institution. So you also got to know your family and the older folks in the family, every one of us could sit here and, and remember being told, don't mess with that. Hmm. Don't, don't, get, don't get in this box. Or aunt so-and-so, 
had the record, you, you know, she got the album, she got this, she got that, but you were not allowed to get them. You got to hit those house repositories and then also connect with those slaveholders. We got to stop not being mad, just get in there. You want to know about your family? That also might be their family. They might not claim it now, but they might know about slavery. They might not know about slavery, but there needs to be conversation because you know what? You cannot do African-American research in this country without hitting in to the white family. Mm, say that one more time for the people in the back because you got a lot of people that just don't realize They'll be like, oh, I just want to research my family. I don't want to go into the white family. But that is your family. That whether, is your family. Whether you want to accept it or not, that is your right. family. And we need the stuff that they have exactly. just like they need certain things from us. Because, again, yeah. not every enslaving family was selling their enslaved people left, right, and center. There were families that held on to their enslaved people. Most definitely. Generation yeah. after generation after generation. Yeah. And the only way that you can unpick your African family story is by, by following that. that that's family. right. It's by following that line. Not to mention the fact sometimes they're holding on to their family. Yeah. It's not because that's what we found that several times for, right. for right. Moses. Moses. And, you know, his, there was one where one lady, she had a right to choose who she wanted to be with. Yep. She had a right. And that was that. They were like, she could choose whoever she wants. It was, it was written in their will. She can live yeah. with whomever she wants to live with. So well, that's my Roper family up in West Charlestown, West Virginia, Jefferson County. One year, several years ago, I got two family reunion invites. And I thought, wait a minute, don't they realize they're all from the same person? No, and they it don't. Was the mob, uh, mulatto child, which was the baby, the only child of the slaveholder. And then you got a few of the kids uh, from from the mulatto child that passed for white and the other ones stayed black. And so you got the white ropers up there, and I know they're probably listening, and you got the black ropers, but they all got the same DNA. Because that child, everybody came from that one child that came from Nicholas Roper that came over from Suffolk, England. And you, they can dress it up and do it all they want. They all related. <laughs> and that one child, his his owner, father, freed him at age 11 and gave him a 99-year lease. Because remember, slaves can't own anything of all of his owning holdings. And he was the largest landowner in Jefferson County. And to this day, the Ropers still are. But those are all related. They have to come together at some point. You got well, the same DNA. It's, it's flowing. It's <laughs> like it's like the Kumbu Kumbi. However, however, exactly. they have concocted the most elaborate. <laughs> I mean, he was Angolan. He is a documented Angolan. He's one of the mm -hmm. first first Africans of Virginia. Someone decided, oh no, we're going to say he's Scottish. They just created this whole fictitious. Well, that's the Talberts and the Tolberts. Yeah. Two, the, the only difference in their name is an A and an O, but it's the same family. But you let them tell it? No, that's not my family. I've literally spoken with a woman who married into my family, and she actually said, I said, so you're related to the Tolberts? She says, no, I'm a Talbert. I'm, I'm, yeah, and I'm like... Okay, it just left it alone. Don't leave out Talaferro because that's going to run right with those Talberts and Talberts also. Are you serious? Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. 
I didn't know that. I didn't want to share that with you, but yeah, we'll talk about that on the. I rest. have a, I have a, I have a girlfriend that I went to college with who's a Talaferro, mm-hmm. and they're white one. and black. You got that? They're all stemming. Yeah. So let me say, we are more connected in this country than we are not connected, That's and there's American. no reason that we have these barriers in front of us when those bloodlines. And I'm not saying every slave owner had babies with their enslaved individuals but probably a good percentage of them did and that's why we're all related so we're getting the wrap-up sign thank you so much for um for joining us today thank you at home for spending your sunday with us and i'm going to do something unusual before donia does her her sign off a lot of you have been leaving us amazing reviews um on our facebook page actual reviews Thank you so much for doing that. We yes. really, we really do appreciate your feedback. We, you know, we take it all on board. Um, also on our YouTube videos, which have gone mental over the last couple of weeks. Again, amazing comments. Thank you for engaging. If you find any of what we're doing really useful or you think someone else can benefit from us, share our videos, kind of talk about them. Yes. But thank you so much for, um, for all the love and support. Yes. And um, next week, we're going to have a really great show. Um, next week's show, we will have an actual railroad worker. His name is Morris Mack, and he worked for the um, Amtrak here in, the, in well, actually it was in Norfolk, Virginia. And um, his story is very compelling. So we're, give, we're getting a story next week, you guys. It's, it's very a very compelling story. So thank you again for everything that you guys do, for following us, for looking through, and j- just being supportive. I'm, I'm so appreciative. I love you guys. You just don't know. <laughs> so until next week, thank you for joining us and have, a, have an awesome Sunday. And I hope whatever team you're supporting today, I hope your team wins. Yes, yes. <laughs> Bye, Shelly. It was great talking. Bye. Bye, Thank you. And I'm not watching Super Bowl today. I'm going to do some research. All right. (laughs) Enjoy your Sunday. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
uh, we got to get through a lot more stuff. So, um, I wanted to let you know some crazy shit. Uh, every single thing, every single service that we have here at this company is now available online for purchase. Here's the crazy thing about it is if you want like an album deal or a big expensive music video or some expensive thing that you can't afford, you can now afford it because guess what? There's a thing called PayPal credit where basically you put in your information, PayPal extends you the credit, they pay us, and uh, you, you know you pay them in increments, little tiny increments, until it's probably all paid off, okay? So now you have an incredible way to actually use services that are way above your uh, welterweight, above your hitting weight, you know what I mean? If you can only afford you know just a few hours in the studio, but you ultimately know that you need an EP deal or an album deal or a music video or a show here, and finance it on credit. Let me tell you, uh, while I'm not personally a huge fan of credit, uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the bank owns more of my house than I do. Okay? So that's how America works. DC's number one recording studio. Money holes are closed, blood smoke coming out the nose is all a nigga knows. Flipping on bowls, putting tags on toes, watching the stash grow, rocking the cash flow. The neighborhood grave digger, getting paid so much, all the bitches want to see a nigga. I guess they think I'm paid, I want to get laid, but since I got loot, I want to knock boots. Uh, I'd rather beat my dick than trick. And this street don't suck and we don't fuck up. I'd rather make a buck, drive a fat ass truck, grab the nine, two clips, and run them up. Yes, flex up the two or three bases, I wreck shit. What the fuck you expected? A fly guy? Well, fuck it. I'm a high guy. From bed stop when you're swelling on your eye. You know, even when I choke you, you stop breathing. But police come and leave. It's love. Definitely have to do a form of awakening. Watch this. DC's number one recording studio. Get barred up with y'all. You ready? Food for thought. What if Martin Luther stayed in a room, never stepped foot in the balcony? What if they had a bulletproof car instead of a drop top for Kennedy? Malcolm did the speech. What if I sat amongst the congregation? So when them boys can get your hands on my pocket, I fire shots at the assassins. Howard, ain't nothing new under the sun. What if I had put blank in Marvin Gaye's father's gun? Then I'll dip to Paris, put all the paparazzi in a slammer. So that way that night they would have never chased Princess Diana. Favorite singer's Bob Marley, never been to his show. But what if the cancer never spread because he cut off his toe? I'm with the Bobo Dreads in Jamaica. They like Pastor Chalice. The bomb's so strong, the guards get in contact at Buckingham Palace. We decided to uh, uh, shoot some um, footage uh, on the campus of Howard. And so we decided to come to the yard. And I followed a couple of students. I ran into broadcast majors. And so I went to class with them. Uh, and so then we literally were walking back uh, to go to our car. And I said, what's the group over that gathered? A couple of students said, I said, Wyclef. I said, 
Oh, I know why, Clint. Howard, this is where I remember we performed here in um, Fuji's, Maxwell. This was homecoming for us. So it's important to come back. It's crazy. Just, you know, you, you run for president, you know, and then you come back. To, to this generation and all of these kids are relating to the new rock clef music like it's 1997 so it's important to not only do it on the internet the power of millennials are very important and the thing is because people was like oh they're not active i was actually they're very active you know they're so active to the point where they really stay back and didn't vote i'm just telling you and i could just be honest with you the kids right now they're not either republican right democrat Issue based, not part. Issue based, not part. All right, man. I love you, Watch this. Six pumping. I feel something.